3: Here on The Next Picture Show, we believe that no film exists in a vacuum and that all culture is more interesting in context. So every other week, we get together to talk over a classic film and consider how it relates to a current movie. This week, we're in the trenches of World War I. The Germans are picking off cinephiles one by one. And if we want to bring an end to the war, we're going to have to try something audacious. Genevieve, what are our options?
0: Option A. We can storm a German anthill. If we succeed, which we almost certainly won't, we'll lose more than half our men trying, but a French general will get a big promotion. If we fail, three of our men will be singled out arbitrarily for cowardice and shot by a firing squad to boost troop morale.
3: I gotta say, Genevieve, option A sounds awful. What's option B?
0: Option B is that we recruit an Amazon warrior and demigoddess who was sculpted from clay and given life by the gods. Then, we force the Germans to surrender by destroying their chemical weapons cache and setting our demigoddess against Ares, the god of war, in a battle royale.
3: Yeah, I'm feeling a lot better about option B, but this (laughs) week on the Next Picture Show, we're going to fully explore our options. On today's episode, we'll look at Paths of Glory, Stanley Kubrick's anti-war classic about French troops forced into a suicide mission by their superiors. Then later in the week, we'll bring in Wonder Woman, which sends Princess Diana into the same conflict against the Germans of World War I, and discovers the best and worst of humanity in the process. We'll dive into the aesthetic trenches after the break. Hello there,
2: soldier. Ready to kill more Germans? Yes, sir. What's your name, soldier? Sir, private for all company A. Eh? Uh-huh. You married, Private? No, sir. Well, I'll bet your mother's proud of you. Yes, sir. Well, carry on, Private. And good luck to you. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Morning, Colonel. Good morning. Hello there, soldier. Sir. Ready to kill more Germans? Yes, sir. <laughs> Working over your rifle, I see. Well, that's the way. It's a soldier's best friend. You'll be good to it, and it'll always be good to you. Yes, sir. Well, uh, good luck to you, soldier. Carry on.
3: Stanley Kubrick's Paths of Glory was based on a novel by Humphrey Cobb, which itself was inspired by a New York Times story about five French soldiers who were executed by firing squad during World War I. I haven't read the novel, but according to James Nairmore's essay on the Criterion edition of the film, Cobb, quote, provided a harrowing account of trench warfare and an appalling picture of how generals treated their troops as cannon fodder. Both of those elements are evident in Kubrick's film, which conveys better than any film I've ever seen the yard-by-yard difficulty of advancing from one position to another under barricades and intense enemy fire. But the specifics of Paths of Glory serve as political sentiments that could carry over into any war, and would, to some extent, with the Cold War theatrics of Kubrick's satire Dr. Strangelove and his Vietnam film Full Metal Jacket, the dehumanization of man would be a primary theme of Kubrick's career, as would the abuses of power that go along with it. What's bold about Paths of Glory is that the ultimate justice of turning back Germany in World War I is rendered absolutely meaningless, to the point where it scandalized Europe with its alleged anti-military bent. The film was held from French release until the mid-70s, it was pulled from the Berlin Film Festival, and it was kept out of Francisco Franco's Spain until 11 years after his death. The title, Paths of Glory, in Kubrick's rendering, is to be read with the deepest sarcasm, To me, it's as savage a satire on the arrogance and buffoonery of military leadership as Dr. Strangelove, even though moments of it are filled with righteous passion and heartbreaking pathos. The situation is absurd and tragic in equal measure, and the miracle of the film is that the two elements coalesce. In that first conversation between General Georges Broulard and his subordinate, General Moreau, in a decadent space far from the trenches, we can recognize the absurdity of Moreau agreeing to push a suicidal attack on a German anthill for the benefit of a promotion and an extra star, And we can see it again later when the mission fails and three good men are selected arbitrarily for court-martial, just so the same officer class can save face. But on the ground level, Paths of Glory taps into the fury of Kirk Douglas' Colonel Dax, who does everything he can to argue against the mission and argue in favor of his men in kangaroo court, but to no avail in either case. Kubrick has been labeled a cold technician in some circles, but there are scenes in Paths of Glory of blistering fury and devastating tragedy as the pleas of Dax and the accused come up short. The film is about how the war machine operates, about the consequential decisions that are made at the top of the chain and the ground troops at the bottom who have to pay for them. In that, it makes a universal statement about war and the deplorable ways in which it is waged.
2: Hello there, soldier. Ready to kill more Germans? That well, is everything all right, soldier? All right. Yes, sir, I'm all right. Ha <laughs> ha. Good fella. Are you married, soldier? Married? Me married? Yes. Have you got a wife? A wife? Have I got a wife? he's a bit shell-shocked. I beg your pardon, Sergeant. There is no such thing as shell shock. Have you got a wife, soldier? My wife? My wife. Yes, I have a wife. I'm never gonna see her again. I'm gonna be killed. Get a grip on yourself. You're acting like a coward. I am a coward. Snap out of it, soldier! Sergeant, I want you to arrange for the immediate transfer of this baby out of my regiment. I won't have other brave men contaminated by him. Yes,
4: sir.
3: So, Paths of Glory is probably my favorite Stanley Kubrick movie. So, uh, I, I hope everyone else liked it. So, I'm going to ask you with that preface: <laughs> Did you like the film Paths <laughs> no of Glory?
0: I really liked it, and and I, I admit I was I wasn't expecting to not like it, but I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did. Just because, as I think I've established on here before, war movies are generally not my bag, but boy this was a really engaging and kind of infuriating watch Mm -hmm. yeah infuriating is the right word for it it's it's so
5: emotionally effective it's Mm -hmm. so moving it's so well crafted in that cold classic uh, Kubrick way to as like a machine to make you feel what he wants you to feel but it's so effective and I mean, that's always just what I come out of it with. Like, it's impossible, I think, to watch this film and not be moved in a bunch of different different directions. I think he just does such an amazing job of setting up with very small movements the humanity of the soldiers and the situations under which you're going to feel empathy for them and then the callousness and heartlessness of the, the people above them. And then suddenly it becomes even more personal than that as, you know, the general becomes just more and more insulting and infuriating Mm -hmm. It's just – he leads you on this little path of glory. He leads you on this little path of emotion uh, throughout the film and it's just – it's really pretty masterful.
4: Yeah, that's just it. I've never bought the Stanley Kubrick as – solely as cold Technician argument at all. I mean I I find his approach can be a little distanced but I don't think what he's showing you within the frame in any given film and I find a lot of his films very moving. To be devoid of emotion. This is an incredibly moving film, in, in, in several different moments, and in several different ways. And and uh, it's definitely it's not my favorite Kubrick, but it's quite an accomplished movie, and I and I and I love it a lot. One of the reasons why
3: it's my favorite beyond just being tight too, it's ninety minutes, and it just and, you know there, not, there's not even not even right. It's it's just a, it's a very tight movie. But what what I find interesting is how I do think it's often as bitterly funny and absurdist as as Doctor Strangelove but not in any way that diminishes or takes away from the tragedy of the story the emotional aspects of the story like both of those things are able to coexist and not feel you know like two different movies happening at the same time
4: no and i think also it it is affecting in a way that strange love can't be because you have a human face. You have these these people who are going to be killed, mm-hmm. and they don't have to be killed. It's a decision being made by the superiors for, for reasons that we see as, as completely uh, heartless. And it's a lot easier to, to, to relate to that than the death of the entire planet mm-hmm. in, in many ways.
5: Yeah, it's the it's sort of the fate of the world in Doctor Strangelove, but because of Doctor Strangelove's comedic elements, which are very broad and very over the top in some places, it feels the stakes don't feel as big as they do here when they're small and personal and specific.
0: Yeah. Well, and each of those men that are on trial have their own character and they have their own reason that they are been selected mm-hmm. and put on trial. And like, you know, you mentioned how efficient this movie is and how short it is, and just being able to get across three distinct secondary characters really that are really what the emotional element of it turns on, I think is pretty extraordinary.
3: And consider, I mean, consider one of those cases, and this is what I'm talking about as far as the absurdity and the tragedy of it being linked, is that in one of those cases a guy was knocked unconscious, you know, by the trench. I mean, Mm -hmm. that was it. That was the end of the day for him because he was unconscious. And he's being, and he's one of the guys who's being selected this court martial and it, it, on its face it is such uh, it's so ridiculous and it's also completely infuriating and, un, and unjust and well that cut have... on
0: his head could have been self-inflicted <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah sure <laughs> of course whatever whatever they want to uh to, to make up and of course the, when they're in front of that court martial and the conclusion that is being is already been made as far as with the fate of these men you just have kirk douglas's character dax just Bumping up against ridiculous bits of logic that don't that he cannot overcome because that that is the conclusion they're they're coming to as you said, that could have been self-inflicted. I mean, it's just he's never going to win. and It's just you feel so upset by that. But, you know, for me, in a lot of these cases, I find myself laughing a little bit, too, uh, about how ridiculous it is.
5: I think one of the neatest little efficiencies of the film is that Kubrick does not even bother to show you the judges deliberating or handing down their sentence. We -hmm. cut directly from the end of the trial to a sergeant informing his men of how the uh, execution is going to work. And it's just i mean watching that trial scene it seemed inevitable how it was going to go but because it's a movie you know and because it's a war movie of its era you you hope you know, you have a hope that they will listen to Kirk Douglas's anguished and emotional and in some ways logical and like legally sound plea Mm -hmm. for them to consider the enormity of what they're doing. And then he just he skips past all of it. It's just like uh, they were in no way affected by that because that's the story being told is it's about the inhumanity of the military system. But the fact that we don't waste any time on watching on, on repeating what we already know about. About those men, about the judges, about the system, uh, and we just cut straight from one thing to the other. It it always amazes me, it, and it kind of takes the rug out from under you too, because you you think that you're going to get more of this logic of what it is that is so important to men, other than our principles about. Like why it's important that we murder these innocent men and instead it's just like there's just sort of a shrug of we already know we're doing everything inefficiently and unjustly and that is not in any way entering into our thinking.
4: I think also says something about Kirk Douglas's taste uh, to sign on for this film in which he plays a brilliant lawyer who – he is completely ineffective, uh, and, mm-hmm. and not through any fault of, of, of his own. It's just things are so stacked against him; he loses at every turn. And he, he doesn't come off as a is a weak character or someone who you would say is not a brilliant uh, lawyer or or a skilled mind or, or a great soldier. At the same time, he gets nowhere.
5: Yeah, his performance here reminds me so much of his performance in Billy Wilder's Ace in the Hole, which is another performance. It maybe has less of a tinge of acid to it, but it's another kind of eagleless performance from a man who is not afraid to play a character who is in no way heroic and in no way successful like he doesn't have to be the the cleft chinned two-fisted hero in his movies he seems to be just much more interested in these like acerbic statements
4: it's egoless except for the fact that a shirtless scene was written into his contract they had to do a shirtless scene in vows of glory <laughs> yeah i'm gonna I'm push back a little bit i think
3: his actions are, are entirely heroic in, in, the, as, in this movie in this they're film.
5: heroic in this they're, they're movie.
3: Not, not successful all the time but, uh, sure, but he, he's but actually keith's
5: point she's, she's was, Hall. Keith's point was oh, specifically that, uh, you know, that he doesn't have to be the winner oh, sure, And I'm course. saying in Ace in the Hole he, he doesn't have to be He's also not the winner there But he's also not the hero The point is just He doesn't have to be this uh, you know, The covered in glory hero in his more movies sure. He doesn't have to he be He doesn't have to save the day He doesn't have to save the day like he's, He is more interested in these like, really interesting films These really interesting stories Than in playing what was you know A kind of a cliched idea of a movie star at the time
3: I mean, and his, you know, his patronage is a big reason why Kubrick was able to have the career that he had. Paths of Glory would not have gotten made, if, you know, certainly with Stanley Kubrick as director, were it not for uh, Kirk Douglas's advocacy. And, and then, of course, Spartacus after that, uh, which is a film that Kubrick has distanced himself from to an extent. But, you know, Douglas is certainly a key player in helping one of the truly great American filmmakers have a career.
5: And I think just his his sarcasm in this film is what gives it any sense of humor. It's a bitter sense of humor, but like he's he's funny. He's funny in a very painful way here, but his performance is so important because it's, it neatly straddles the line between going along with the things he's been ordered to do enough to prove that he is a soldier. You know, he he is a brave man. He is trying to do what he has been told is the right thing to do you know he's not he's not a slacker he's not a layabout he's not that shell-shocked guy at the beginning of the film he's honestly trying but at the same time he knows the absurdity of what he's being asked to do he hates it and he doesn't cower before all of these people who are telling him to do the wrong thing it's just a great performance
0: but he also is a soldier and he does follow orders and, and mm-hmm. that's like especially evident at the beginning where he is given this impossible task that he's he knows it's an impossible task and he he does push back against it to honestly about the same extent that moreau does in that opening scene but once it's it's clear that like this is the order and you are gonna see the order through like he does it when it comes down to it he's a soldier and he he watches his men be executed I, mean,
3: he, I think he respects what the military i think he is an exemplar of military leadership mm-hmm. that the film needs because uh because further up the chain, the motives for you know turning these men into cannon fodder are just deplorable. So you uh, you know here you have someone who is always at every step of the way looking out for his his men both on the battlefield and then also in court and then also as they're preparing to die and of course pointedly he is out there blowing his whistle and he's on the front lines he's and the he's, first
0: one out of the trench he's
3: out, he's out of the trench I, I mean if you if not you, unlike ever,
0: wonder woman and if you, <laughs> exactly right
3: see this is a pairing, This pairing is a good one yeah. um yeah i mean there's a difference so he's out there leading by example and i'm sure it seems like until this point until this moment they've had a tremendous amount of success Right, uh, At least it's implied that they've had success in other missions and uh, they're they're a good unit. But this is a, an absurd thing they're not being asked to do.
5: It's also just a very carefully written role. I mean, one of the things rewatching at this time I think I was most aware of is that you can see how he got to where he is. And it's not just a matter of his bravery or his willingness to obey orders. It's a matter of knowing when he can push back and when he can't and being willing to push back but also – respecting the hierarchy mm-hmm. like it feels unlikely in many ways that general moreau got to where he is it does not feel unlikely that colonel dax has made it as far in the military as he has and you could see how he could go farther patriotism
2: may be old-fashioned but show me a patriot and i'll show you an honest man well, not everyone has always thought so samuel johnson had something else to say about patriotism. and what was that may i ask well nothing really what do you mean nothing really well, sir, nothing really important Colonel you know, when i ask a question it's always important now who is this man all right, secretary. now, what did he have to say about patriotism? He said it was the last refuge of a scoundrel, sir. I'm sorry, I meant nothing personal. You're tired, Dex. You're very tired. It's you who are exhausted, <laughs> not your men. And it's my fault. I've given you one impossible task after another. You need rest. Well, I haven't you need said it badly. And rest, you never know would either. Therefore, you're not going to have any say so about it, Colonel. As from right now, I'm ordering you on indefinite furlough.
0: General, you can't
2: take me away from my men. You can't do that to me, Not sir. Not to you, Dax. For you. For your good and for the good of your men. The good of my men, sir. If a commanding officer lacks confidence, what can we expect of his men? Naturally, I don't want to relieve you, but I must have your enthusiastic support. Not once have you said that your men can take the Ant Hill.
1: We'll take the Ant Hill. If any soldiers in the world can take it. We'll take the anthill.
3: So with The Killing and Paths of Glory, Kubrick really started to come into his own stylistically. So I was curious you know, how you would describe the style of Paths of Glory and, and how it serves the story.
0: Well, at the beginning of this conversation, when we were talking about kind of the reputation he has as a cold technician, the technical achievements in this film are in service of emotion. And that's what's kind of so extraordinary and admirable about it. And you, you mentioned it a little in the keynote, but the thing... That stood out to me so much with the stylist movie is how the two sides of the military are framed and how the officers are in this this palace mm-hmm. basically, and how they are framed within that palace where you just you see them surrounded by the opulence and they are almost dwarfed by it um, whenever they are in that setting and compared to the trenches and just the the claustrophobia of that setting, and it 's really heightened by. The way he uses light, those trench sequences are so, so stark, mm-hmm. and you feel the the claustrophobia of being in there. Yeah,
4: and the officers are, are bathed in light in, in, mm-hmm. in, the, in that place. Just the basic need to see the sunshine mm-hmm. is, is something that 's denied to these people, or at least you know they're, they can 't get their heads above and you know, their holes in the ground to take in the atmosphere in any way it 's just such a really basic contrast in, in how these people live on a day to day basis and i mean I, I feel like the palatial setting is probably exaggerated from how the conditions actually were, but maybe not that much, and certainly you know you get to a deeper truth with that uh, whereas the the trenches boy i mean I wouldn't want to find any war guys, <laughs> but I think I think if I had my choice of war, wars, World War One would be pretty low on the on the list. The, the trench warfare, the gas, yeah. The, yeah, the, that's the not the, great. Yeah, it seems like one of the one of the worst ones.
3: That's setting that opulent. Setting. I mean, for one, one thing I, I admire about it stylistically is that he allows the sound to be echoey mm. um, and rattle through the space, which is fine. I think that works as fine, but it really gets you thinking. And, and if even if it's or especially if it's if it's overblown, because those are really the most, most satirical scenes of the movie, uh, the most absurd scenes of the movie, you really get to thinking about how decisions of enormous consequence are made, really enormous consequence are made and where those settings are. are. Because you know, when you're talking about dictating major movements in wars dictating just going to war those are not those are decisions that are made in the oval office or made in are made in these palaces or in over tea and you know service um they're not made where kirk douglas is standing you know they're not made with a with a real sense of like what the actual human cost is going to be it's much you know and you get that, that such a stark sense of that distance of that disconnect between what they're casually talking about, which is a, a mission that's going to kill over half of these men you know, and probably not succeed. That's a much different calculation when you're on the ground and you know, you're know you actually looking at the people who are going to lose their lives.
5: But I think that's one of the fascinating things about this film is General Moreau gets down into the trenches and meets these men. He looks them in the eyes. Mm. He and insults them. He, yeah, he interviews <laughs> them. He smacks one of them. He probably does not see them as people, given the fact that he asks, asks all of them the same question, you know. There's just sort of a boilerplate to it. But he's not living in that palace, far from the front lines, with no idea of what these people are and no connection to their humanity. He's able to look them in the eyes, speak to them as people, and then walk into the colonel's uh, sort of dugout and say, hey, "Here's the plan. Half of those people I just talked to are going to die." Mm-hmm. Like there, yeah. it, it okay, makes him so much point. more evil that way, though. That's just it. Yeah. It makes him. I mean, it makes him even more of a sociopath than. Some Somebody – the people in Wonder Woman sitting like literally a country away from the front lines and determining what's going to happen. He sees it and it doesn't matter to him. Like he sees the humanity of the people that are there and he – yet he doesn't engage with it at all.
0: Well, in, in his – approach to i mean we're getting away from talking about the style but i want to continue on this Mm -hmm. thread because it's interesting but like his approach to any suffering or problem that a soldier may have is to dismiss them you know like doesn't exist yeah it's not a thing just get him out of here dismiss him and and he does it later in the film too it it might actually be with Dax. he tries to like dismiss dax there's the whole business where private farol goes off to his death weeping hysterically
5: and terrified and afterwards uh the the general says you know oh they you know they were so brave it couldn't have been better what Mm -hmm. what a glorious thing it was you know how beautiful it was like he very clearly was there and yet didn't process any of that emotion yeah it's
4: it's like he's already writing the historical account of it Mm -hmm. uh, Uh,
5: yes
3: just to kind of go back to style too for a second i mean for one you 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 get you know, a, at least one spectacular Kubrick tracking shot in the in the trenches where you when your yeah. camera's don't right. you didn't know how that was. Camera's done. right in front of you.
4: Can see where the tracks would be.
3: Yeah, and it was pre-steady cam. Yeah, so. and this is someone for
4: whom steady cam may as well have been invented, and and yeah. you know, kind of doing that before there was such a thing. Yeah, I remember good, reading something. I'm
5: not
3: really sure how it was accomplished technically.
5: I remember something involving the camera person and the set director arguing because they had to make the trenches bigger in order to, to fit the dollies, hmm. like to fit the cameras in there. I don't know if they just... I mean, you don't
3: have to be on tracks. I guess you can push the dolly, but even, but that even then, terrain it was... doesn't seem like it would, it would give you a smooth wow. shot.
5: That terrain is entirely created, though. Like, they, they literally took a field and okay. spent three weeks just digging those trenches, so they had perfect <laughs> that's, control that's over... A Kubrick,
3: that's a Kubrick thing. Too, oh, yeah, it? of course. To do all of that. I mean, <laughs> literally you, digging guy, trenches. I mean, here's a guy who had, who had lenses invented for Barry Lyndon so that could accommodate a film that was you know, lit by candlelight. <laughs> the guy is a good photographer, but boy, what a powerful uh, way to, to shoot that scene. Um, yeah. Apparently the, the
5: cameras were just on dollies. They, they dug the trenches extra wide to give the dollies more room to operate. But it's, it's I, I mean, I, like you can kind of see like sort of the image, like rising and falling with the movement of the trenches. But uh, yeah, I, I would love to see behind the scenes shots of how they accomplished it.
0: Also, the, the actual storming of the anthill, which, can we just acknowledge that calling it the anthill is is kind of brilliant, like the, <laughs> the, the fact that like this impossible mission is for something so small and insignificant, mm-hmm. yet so populated. Yeah, uh, and The
4: novel was called The Pimple uh, which
0: just maybe uh, even
4: more yeah. reductive
0: calling yeah. it the molehill probably would have been like two on the nose but the you know the anthill's good but anyway in the the sequence for swimming the anthill which is amazing on so many levels but what I was struck by especially after seeing Wonder Woman which uses music very liberally to goose it is that in Paths of Glory during that balancing it's like you are just inundated with sound there's no music mm-hmm. but it's just explosions and gunfire and it is oppressive and it is like it's felt in a way that like sound is always kind of secondary I feel like when we talk about style especially with someone like Kubrick but the way sound is used in that sequence particular was incredible to me
3: and, and I appreciated how the film prepares you for the challenge of that by by bringing you along on this reconnaissance mission mm. where, where, where you get a sense of the distance and of all these barricades all this wire they have to go through it just seems at that point before there's even any Gunfire that what they 're attempting is to do is just impossible like it 's called an ant hell it, it seems like it might be kind of close. It might as well be a world away and be a mountain because it's it 's just an impossible thing uh, for them to have to do
5: i think it's also just kind of genius that we don 't really get any kind of like top down perspective on the battlefield we don 't get a big wide view where we can see the progress that we 're making we 're up there close in their in their space in the trenches, watching them crawl these just like agonizing like lengths and and dying in droves but you have this feeling this has been going on so long they must be close and then you get the over the shoulder (laughs) shot and see how far they still have to go and it just it feels so hopeless but stylistically one of the things I think is most interesting about this movie is just the way he sets it up that contrast between the raw moments of, of in the battle and then just like the clinical coldness of things like the courtroom scene he keeps pulling pulling back to that uh, long shot of the room and the men like walking up to make their presentations to the judges and then walking back to their chairs. And what strikes me over and over in that shot is the three men with guns positioned Mm -hmm. behind the three chairs. That room shot is so huge and so static that you just get this sense of every element in it and seeing the fact that each one of them has their own armed guards standing there, in case they what try to make a run <laughs> for it. It's just it's just so much part of the oppression and kind of the idiocy of the military thinking in this uh, particular story.
3: Yeah, also how this becomes a kind of secondary strategy that if that if they fail in this mission that the next mission is like is not really about justice it's just about like what the next thing is to motivate the troops by killing these men for cowardice so that's that's the thinking and, and it's i guess partially it's a face-saving measure but um
5: yeah they actually he uses the word uh, we, we want to inspire them like nothing
0: seriously I, I'm like looking at the notes I took watching this movie. And during that courtroom scene, like about halfway through, I just wrote, <laughs> <laughs> I had that reaction. You just had, Tasha. I'm like, <laughs> Yeah,
5: it wasn't, it wasn't, I just checked my notes. It wasn't inspiring. It was uh, stimulating. The executions will be stimulating yeah. for the men. In much Ooh. the same
4: way as shelling your own men might be stimulating.
5: Yeah. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's fascinating because again, Moreau gets into the trenches and, and sees the men, but brullard doesn't. And it's, oh, it's like such a poisonous irony. That because he's a warmer character and because you've seen him at various points seem to be a voice of reason, you assume that he's a reasonable man. And then he gives that little speech at the end. Oh, we think we're doing a good job running the war. And, you know, execution is stimulating for men. We're talking about men who are watching all of their friends die around them. Hmm. It's like one more death is somehow going to stimulate them or make them think
1: differently. Oh, come Dykes, let's not go over all that ground again. Though, uh, I must admit that judging from the casualties, the efforts of your regiment must have been considerable. How can you understand that and allow these men to be shot tomorrow? Oh, come, Colonel, you're choosing to take a rather simple view of this the thing. The attack was impossible from the start. The General Staff must have known that. Colonel Dax, we think we're doing a good job running the war. You must be aware of the fact that the General Staff is subject to all kinds of unfair pressures from newspapers and politicians. Maybe the attack against the Anthill was impossible. Perhaps it was an error of judgment on our part. On the other hand, if your men had been a little more daring, they might have taken it. Who knows? In any case, why should we have to bear any more criticism of the failure than we have to? Aside from the inescapable fact that a good many of your men never left the trenches, there's the question of the troops' morale. Don't forget that. The troops' morale? Certainly. These executions will be a perfect tonic for the entire division. There are few things more fundamentally encouraging and stimulating than seeing someone else die. I never thought of that, sir. Well, you see, Colonel, troops are like children. Just as a child wants his father to be firm, troops crave discipline. I see. And one way to maintain discipline is to shoot a man now
3: and then. I wanted to kind of get into the controversy surrounding the film because it was significant. One of the things I really admire uh, about it is that I think you would say you would want the french to prevail against the germans in the war broadly speaking so so for him to kind of make the french and the specific example the sinister is a pretty bold thing to do or just it's a bold tack uh, that's not necessarily specific to them at all um in, in a lot of respects but i'm rambling but uh, well, what do you think about the controversy what do you think do you see the film as anti-military
0: Oh, hell yeah. It's anti-military, but it's not anti-soldier, mm-hmm. which I think is an interesting distinction to make.
4: I almost feel like you have to pull back a little further. I think it's anti-war in, in the very purest sense. I think it's sort of, let's just look at this from a distance and see how cruel and absurd and dehumanizing it is. And I think it's significant that we're on the side of the good guys in World War One here because I think the, the the underlying thing is this is how... War works and it's awful, and you need to look at it. And I think to imply anti-militaries is just a critique of, of a particular way of waging war instead of just the idea and act of war itself.
3: I think that's exactly right and i I'm trying to think about the time period because it did you know it was significantly uh it was decades after the the war but but it drew a very strong response um, from veterans who had served in the war and from various countries throughout Europe from France and also from Germany and Spain and other places um did, were you surprised to learn that, that, that the response was as strong as it was?
5: I'm a little surprised to learn that Germany and Spain had those responses. I could see France having that response because it seems to be directly indicting the French military, but The fact that so many countries saw this movie as subversive and dangerous in some way and to be kept from the general public suggests that they saw some of themselves in it. It suggests that they think that there's a universality to it, that military leadership maybe can't be trusted, and that men who send other men off to die in their places perhaps cannot be trusted, and that the heroes are the people who push back against that i can see that being considered a subversive dangerous message in in any country
0: well,
3: that's a good point actually
0: you know this was several decades removed from world war one but i think it's worth remembering that kubrick was a teenager during world war ii which is obviously they are different wars but they have a lot of similarities including just like the pure body count mm. so i i think that it's reasonable to assume that there is that this was made with a, a fairly strong anti war intent from his perspective
3: oh uh, for sure and and it is something that I appreciate the degree to which the, the the film captures what it was like to fight in World War I and trench warfare, and then just that yard by yard it 's a horrible it 's a horrible war to fight yeah. but he is advancing ideas that are, that do apply would apply to any war, and maybe that makes that is a, as Tasha was suggesting earlier. What makes it a truly dangerous subversive f- film, mm-hmm. because it does undermine fundamentally our reverence for the military and the people who lead the military and our trust in, in the decisions that they make, and our assumption that they are always looking out first and foremost for the ground troops the people who are really in, in harm 's way when when in fact there are larger strategies at play, some of them noble, some of them petty and personal that can result in in death further down the the ch- food chain
5: Truffaut has been widely quoted as saying that it's impossible to make an anti war film because war is inherently exciting on the screen. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this film proves that he was wrong about that or that whoever originally said it. I think he's been wrong about it
3: so many times. (laughs) (laughs) Am I right? No, uh,
4: yeah. I think it's a good quote to push back against Mm -hmm. and think think about, but I I think it certainly applies to a lot of films, but I don't know that it applies to all films.
5: It's also one of those quotes that's really hard to source specifically. It gets passed around a lot, but regardless. I thought it
4: was Oscar Wilde who first. <laughs>
5: but, uh, or, or, or was it Vic Tabak? Yeah. <laughs> no, but I—I I mean, I think that the, a couple of the ways that the this proves that wrong. One is by showing exactly how painful and awful and and terrifying and crushing like what you're talking about with the soundscape, particularly uh, the war is. But also what fascinates me about this film is that it's a war film that puts the battle in the middle and then never goes back to it. It's not a film about being at war. It's a film about the causes of war and how wars are perpetuated. And by distancing itself from that combat, it just, it fascinates me so much that the first half of the film is about the importance or non-importance of this goal and about the battle that is fought to get there and then, not a further word is said about the strategic importance of the Ant Hill or mm. about any further effort to make it to the Ant Hill, which makes it just so clear that it really was just about one person's ambition as much as he claimed it wasn't. Mm. It really was just about that promotion that he wanted because nobody cares anymore once it's clear that they fail. They don't even talk about the end of the war and where it's going, it just becomes about murdering these men or not murdering these men. And I just I think that's such a fascinating narrative choice.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting to think like there's not a single victory like personal or military in this movie. Like no one comes out on top at all. And and, like I think that is at odds with kind of what the Truffaut quote is getting at. Like there is no excitement when there is no victory uh, of any sort, you know, and, and I, I mean that in a very broad sense when I say that there's no personal victory. Like, I think that is important that Moreau and Broulard also kind of come off the worse for both of these. Like, it's not even that the highest up officers get what they wanted, like, they don't. And I, I think, like, the zero-sum aspect of this movie's view of war is really pointed. I
5: feel like the closest we get to any kind of victory is Corporal Paris getting a hold of himself and going to his death bravely. You know, because we <laughs> yeah. see, we see him, we see him curled up and crumpled and weeping, yeah. but he's managed to pull himself together by the end to the and getting to look
0: Roger in the eye better.
5: and being the bigger man about yeah. that. Because you're kind of anticipating a moment where he looks, he spits in his eye, right. or where, where he says, "It's coming for you too," or like whatever.
4: He doesn't accept his apology though. Yeah, I mean, he never says it's okay or anything
0: to that effect.
5: He kind of nods a little bit. I mm. mean, he gives him he gives him more than I would give him. <laughs>
0: That's yeah. for damn sure. Well, that's a qualified victory if I ever heard one. <laughs> Very.
5: Yeah, well, you I mean, they're all qualified victories. But, man, those those performances, both Wayne Morris and uh, Ralph Meeker in those roles, boy, they, they really come across. And this is a movie of some pretty tremendous performances. Yeah, this,
3: I mean, those don't – you don't have to make real characters out of those guys. But he, the movie does and does it in a really efficient way. All of, Everyone is so crisply – drawn and 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 efficiently drawn the movie just gets so much done in 90 minutes good job uh stanley kubrick um (laughs) but 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 i do want to get into get into um what has been a point of contention for a long time among among cinephiles which is the end of the film with the german girl um what did you think uh, of the ending some some find it affecting others sentimental uh where do you stand
5: i found it confusing like, why does this random French bar have a captured German girl? Why not? Uh, where, where well, they, where they get her from? They go down to the German girl shoppery. Like, I, I just, it raised so many questions for me that this was not the time to be asking those questions
4: it, it didn't to me i just assumed that she was a ca- i don't know i, I yeah. just
0: i just chalk up to like this kind of thing happens in war it's like you know the nazis had women as prostitutes like mm-hmm. I, you know like w- women especially just are passed around in war you know it'd be used to sum up movies <laughs> i guess the yeah. yeah. first
4: and only woman we see right Other oh, are women are women ball. The ball. Yeah, 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 of of yeah. course okay I uh love this even ending. I find it for deeply moving and I, I um I, you know, if that makes me sentimental then then so be it. But I mean it gets me every time I watch this movie, I think it speaks to some sort of underlying idealism that is not about our ability to connect with one another that is almost drowned out by the circumstances in which we see it and probably will not last any longer than that song lasts, but it's there. And, and if it's over, it still happened. I mean, I think it's fantastic. I, when when Kubrick died, I know I read about Spielberg having a small gathering, and this is the scene he chose to show to some of his entire career. And, and you know, I don't think Kubrick was necessarily someone who formed... We don't hear a lot about like deep, warm friendships that Kubrick formed, but I know he and Spielberg had a relationship, and, and I think it speaks to who Kubrick was uh, that this is the scene that his, his friend chose.
0: I agree that it's kind of a little confusing on the surface because of kind of the reasons you cite Tasha, but I do think it's ultimately really important to the point the film is making because it's about recognizing humanity in another person, and so much of this movie is about how war is kind of boiled down to sides and you're just part of a, a larger whole. You're It's us and them. And like when the woman first comes on stage, she's drowned out. She's jeered and booed because she's them. She's the other. But as she sings and they like recognize her as a person and as an individual mm. and they're like just struck by that. And I think that that is so integral to what this movie is trying to say about the human cost of war
3: it's an interesting gesture for kubrick to see this potential for humanity where i don't know that he would have later on i I think about this scene in contrast with the end of full metal jacket yeah you know when when they've finally killed the sniper that's who's a woman and she's taken out god knows how many (laughs) troops from her position and uh, you have these men who are Hovering over her, and she's, she's sort of bleeding bleeding out, and desperate. And the reaction is not necessarily one of humanity. It's it's one of just of having all of that just stripped away. You know,
4: it's kind of a terrible echo of this. Um, yeah. <laughs> this scene. Well,
5: doesn't I mean, isn't the last the last shot of *Full Metal Jacket* is the men marching together, whistling the Mickey Mouse song? So it's it's once again kind of a coming together yeah. around music and culture and this moment. Well, I mean, one of the things that. I guess bothers me a little about the Paths of Glory ending is I don't see them responding to her humanity. I don't see her them responding to her specifically and recognizing her as a person. I see them responding to a piece of art, and seemingly a piece of art they all know, because they all start humming along. Oh, see, oh,
0: yeah. yeah, see, now, when I say it's confusing, that is what's is confusing to me, because she's singing a German folk song, so I'm like, why are they humming along? You know, I think that's a reasonable question. I also can just, like, chalk it up to, like, it's the nature of folk music to be kind of repetitive and easily learned and to cross uh, borders
5: yeah i it, mean it, it, uh, think about schnitzelbach like how many people at this table could sing that song even though it's in german i don't know maybe you should sing it oh i do
3: feel like though there's a shared humanity that's being expressed uh, in, at that moment um, it's, it's a soft it's a soft ending
5: It is a soft ending. It's just, for me, so much of this film feels completely universal and completely timeless. You know, as long as there's a war, as long as old men send young men off to die in war, this film is going to be timely and have a place. But this communal singing of a folk song that I've never heard and have no connection to just seems specific to the time and place in a way that takes me out of the universality of it. I'm not saying it's a bad ending. It's very emotional. I, I think that Suzanne Christian gives it a tremendous performance. Uh the tears streaking down her face are very convincing. And of course I feel for her and of course it's touching to see the men not only responding to her, but crying as well. Mm-hmm. They're moved by a piece of art and that is a beautiful moment. I don't hate this ending. I just don't think it's on the like the pitch perfect level of so much of this film.
0: Does it make any difference to know that the folk song is about a soldier who is separated from his beloved one and is only allowed to return to her when she is already mortally ill? That does make a difference, and yeah. it, but it makes
5: me wonder: like, do all these French people know that? Do they? Is there a French version of it? It's just, yeah. it's a very specific touch that, again, for me, it raises questions.
3: The your continent, <laughs> that continent is. Europe. <laughs> uh,
0: Actually, just before we wrap this up, the one like very basic question I have is why the French military? Is it just because that's what the book was?
3: Yeah, I mean that was kind of the thing that I admired. I, I, I assume that was the book. What the book was? I mean, like I said, the book was based on a New York Times article about French soldiers who were court-martialed in World War One. Five of them. So I guess it's just taking from that specific case. But I, I just feel like that's the extra challenge of, of the film. And uh, I think that gives it that extra level where, you're broadly speaking, you would want the French to defeat the Germans and feel like the overall cause is, is a righteous one. But but that even the good guys are participating in this uh, act of war, in the war machine, and making a lot of bad decisions.
5: It also, I mean, apart from the names... There really isn't much
0: in here to designate
5: this as the French
0: military. Yeah, it it, it honestly took me a while to kind of click that it was the French military.
5: Yeah, nobody has accents. We don't use a lot of place names. Like there's, there's not anything specific, which makes it more universal. But it wouldn't surprise me to learn that Stanley Kubrick just would not have been able to get this funded if he was making it about the American military in this time
3: oh, period yeah. I mean he had a hard enough time I think yeah. with the way, the way things were and I'm, I'm fine with no one <laughs> trying I don't I don't want to see uh, Kirk Douglas try a French accent <laughs> it, I, I think it would have been a different film it would have been a lesser film but I really love the film that we have I do too uh, me too uh, and with that we'll take a break and be right back So normally this is where we'd have feedback at this segment of the show, but for, for some reason people didn't appear to go out to see Baywatch and didn't have <laughs> a, anything to say about the Brady Bunch movie either. So first off, we want to encourage our listeners to give feedback if, th- if they would like, and we'll, we'll give you that information. I'll give it to you right now. Uh, you can leave us a sh- short voicemail, 773-234-9730 or It can email be a long us. voicemail.
0: I'll edit it down.
3: <laughs> okay, and then you can do that too. And then you can also email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net. So uh, those options are there for you. I'm surely you'll have plenty to say about Paz of Glory and then in the hit film Wonder Woman.
4: And if you're intimidated in any way about how hard it's going to be to get on the show... Anyone could have gotten on. Really? We would have, we would have run we a really bad letter. We wouldn't
3: have, would have taken some letter about how uh, some culture club song uh, <laughs> uh, it, figures into uh, the Brady Bunch movie. And, and
4: your silence, it hurts our feelings. It
5: does. We feel so alone.
3: It does. But... Feel, I it's
5: just because
4: I wasn't here last week. We feel like Jan who Brady. inspires letters, right?
3: Angry letters. Keith gets all of our angry letters. Um, so we are going to heed uh, a piece of feedback that we got in the past about other pairings that we considered... For the show, uh, we are, after all, your cinematic sommeliers <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and we did have a discussion about what would be right. For Wonder Woman, because Paths of Glory is not necessarily the first thing that springs to mind when you're talk- talking about a superhero movie. So um,
5: we had a we had a really hard time picking a pairing because there's such a long and vibrant tradition of superheroine-led movies with you know strong female leads. Mm-hmm. You're looking at me like I'm saying something that <laughs> makes sense, Scott. Like you're actually wait.
3: Nodding. No, I'm thinking. I- What's that one with Helen Slater? Supergirl? <laughs> Supergirl. Supergirl.
0: Yeah, there's there's Supergirl, the Electra. Electra. Everybody always uh, forgets Electra.
5: Everybody shouldn't forget Electra. Electra's a kind of terrible pretty movie. But yeah. So <laughs> not a lot of superhero in movies, which was one of the reasons that Wonder Woman is, you know, getting so much attention. Norma
3: Ray. <laughs>
0: <laughs> aaron, brockovich. aaron brockovich well
5: catwoman actually is another oh, one that people right. cite oh you know there there are a handful of superhero and quote-unquote uh led movies Boy. they tend to not be very the good the field
3: was wide open for wonder woman was it not <laughs> uh, so what did we consider gang the the obvious choice was superman mm-hmm. uh 1978 for,
4: it's, a, it's a film i, I love and, and it's one that patty jenkins said was a model for this wonder right. woman but i feel like we Done that show before? We did Batman and Batman, and we did you know we did old version of something. did. You know, star- Iron Man and yeah, Civil War. yeah, mm-hmm. Star Wars and Star Wars and like you know those. Trust me, those were great shows. Yeah. <laughs> really, you should, go, you should revisit them the yeah. right. and, and, <laughs> and we
0: very well might do a show like that in the future. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it will be great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course it'll be so good.
4: But you know, maybe a break for that would
0: not be a bad idea. Mm-hmm. I will just say just as a kind of a trivia point too, one of the it wasn't even a reservation I had about this pairing just like something I noted is that the last DCEU movie we did which is Suicide Squad we also paired with a war movie which Mm. was Dirty Dozen which I just thought was like interesting like what is it about the DC cinematic universe that calls to mind war movies Hmm. but um, to go back to the the yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. but to go back to the, the Superman 78 potential like I mean, like, that is a movie I would have loved to revisit, and I, I have seen, in addition to Patty Jenkins, saying, you know, citing it as a model, like, I think there are definite comparisons to draw between Gal Gadot's performance in Wonder Woman and Christopher Reeves and Superman, just in terms of kind of the the earnestness and the, well, you know, that's not a pairing we did, so we won't get no, into it. No, <laughs> but, but that was
3: something, it almost was so strong a pairing that it was superfluous to even include it, because I, I know in the second half of the show uh superman will come into play in terms of how says
0: the man who wrote the second part of the show yeah because i think they do
3: i think they do have uh there's something about the way wonder woman is presented and of course of course the roots of the character and her relationship to humankind uh in the fish out of water elements they're all there and so uh and so there's a definitely a model to follow so that was the obvious choice the left field choice <laughs> that I came up with was splash. <laughs> the uh, the yeah, Keith is looking at me like, "What what were you no, smoking?" No, no, I'm saying um, yes.
4: This actually makes sense. Yeah, that. I haven't seen that movie in a long yeah.
0: time. Uh, I- I'm I'm willing to look at you like, "What were you smoking?" Uh, <laughs> oh no, I get it entirely. Yeah, and I th- and I think it it, it would have been fun because it would have allowed us to engage very fully with like some of my favorite aspects of Wonder Woman, which are mm-hmm. the fish out of water yep. like semi comedic elements. And I mean, I love Splash and would love to. Do that. However, we do have a gender swap Splash on the horizon. So we'll want to save that. What, what's the, gen- oh, the Channing, gender? Oh, Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum is the mermaid.
3: Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs>
0: it's going to be great. And we're going to do that pairing. Don't it's, even say anything. Is, Scors- <laughs> is
3: Scorsese directing that one? He's directing oh, that one. Bad.
0: No, and it's Jillian Bell is the is the other one from uh, 21 Jump Street. Oh, i so, like sure. yeah. yeah, it's going to be good i'm excited she's, about it. she's
3: the one who's gonna say mr mango on my shoulder probably remember that? Yes.
5: do we have any reason to believe that the movie uh, like i remember when it was announced and uh, yeah who knows bill actually know, I, I made a i made a joke about the merman in uh, cabin in the woods and whether he was going to look anything like that but yeah i'm very curious to see whether it actually is going forward or is just one of those vaporware products <laughs> <laughs> is it actually called merman i think it's called splash Oh, okay. It's just, maybe it's called man Because, you know if it's for a man we got a tack man on it onto it, like man bun. Yeah, mankini. it looks like it looks like
3: August first, two thousand sixteen is when the world got excited about Channing Tatum as the merman. But well, um, that
0: means it should be coming out but, any but, minute yes, now.
3: We do that, yeah. It's gonna be splash and splash. <laughs>
0: You'll be we'll be very glad we It'll didn't splash do that. And splash. that but, but there for is this.
4: the
3: fish out of water aspect is, is good and just and also um, you know, a person contending with the flawed, semi-redeemable animals we call mankind.
5: And then there's that scene where Daryl Hannah, like, punches her way across a battlefield. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I remember I, that scene. I, I didn't pipe out too loudly because I think I'm the only person who likes this movie. But um, I think I think War Horse might have, might have worked as oh, well. I like it. it. <laughs> it's, it's a... It's a <laughs> you know really? it's a spielberg you know the spielberg kubrick connection we talked to you about oh, before the world war 1 film although the, in many it owes a lot more to to john ford than mm-hmm. any other director but uh, i I, I, love I love that movie war Horse. and it's another it's a little, another, little underrated yeah exactly it's another
0: anti war film oh my gosh. Uh, you know
4: on on the most basic level
0: a lot of horses in Wonder Woman too. Yeah, all right, guys,
4: <laughs> erase this whole episode. Let's go watch War Horse. <laughs> and we'll, uh, we'll to this horse. day,
5: every time somebody says War Horse, I just go to a Simpsons place and I hear Warhorse, the crime-solving horse. <laughs> every single time, uh, I, c- I couldn't take it seriously. I just think okay, that we right. would get ourselves into some conceptual trouble comparing a landmark story about a long-running woman character getting her first film with a story about a horse. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I mean, I, it, it seriously is like I understand the comparison and I I see the specific parallels in the specific war story and uh, especially with the trenches, the barbed wire and the whatnot. I just think – We could finesse it though. We – like Superman is I think a smarter – pair, like a, mm. a safer pairing in yes. some ways because uh, at least we're comparing a woman to a man and not to a horse.
4: <laughs> Good point. Good
0: Crime-solving enough. horse. Well, alternate history –
4: Oh, yeah,
3: right. things that could have happened. So, as always, we appreciate when our listeners share their thoughts and their recommendations. To reach us, you can leave a short voicemail at seven seven three two three four nine seven three zero or email us at comments at nextpictureshow dot net. We may feature your response on a future episode. We
0: definitely will. Yeah, we really will. <laughs>
3: or really, just no matter how inane, uh, or post it on Facebook for discussion. That wraps up this episode of The Next Picture Show. In part two, we'll look at World War One from the slightly more fantastical angle of Wonder Woman, which uses the closing days of the Great War to test the compassion and will of its Amazon warrior and whether humanity itself is worth saving. Look for that later this week, or better yet, subscribe to The Next Picture Show on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Follow us at facebook.com slash nextpictureshow and follow us on Twitter at nextpicturepod so you'll always know when a new episode drops. Until then we'll be arguing whether it's best to die by bayonet or machine gun
5: bayonet is right out anything but
2: that sein herzliebchen im sterben lag da ließ er all sein hab und gut und eilte seinem herzliebchen zu Da ließ er all sein Hab und Gut und eilte seinem Herzliebchen zu.